my money. Money. I get money from you. Money in the bank. Young money. Money, 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 money. It's a rich man's world. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. World-renowned financial advisor and best-selling author Barry James Dyke will arm you with the truth. This is The Economic Warrior. Please note, the opinions expressed on this show are of the individuals who speak them, and not necessarily of Portsmouth Community Radio, its members, or board of trustees. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. It's a beautiful day here in uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and I have... Uh, Handsome Phil Kleiger, our engineer at the board That's here. That's me. And I have uh, my sidekick, Will Pierce. Uh, right here. And uh, I have our special guest, Steve Church. And we're going to talk about uh, uh, the funding status of state and government local pensions, which will be uh, quite interesting, to say the least. Well, Steve, it's great to hear have you here and talk about state pensions, because every day you open up the paper is something that you, we hear about underfunded government pension plans. And uh, I have tremendous respect for you. Um, uh, you're a great numbers guy. and uh, I'm always amazed by your depth of knowledge, but could you just please tell, give the the audience a, a nickel tour about your background and uh, and how you're well qualified to talk about the subject. Uh, well, first, thank you for having me. I know this is the second time I've been on. I appreciate that. Uh, my background: I started life as an actuary, <laughs> uh, a health actuary. Then I moved into being a pension actuary. So for about eight years, I did actuarial work. Uh, then I moved over to the investment side in the mid-80s, uh, mid 1986. Went to work for one of the big pension uh, investment consulting firms. And we'll come back to the thing about being kicked out of CalPERS. But yeah. <laughs> uh, basically, my, our, the firm I worked for was the primary consultant for CalPERS in uh, for most of the last three decades. So what do actuaries do? Uh, actuaries do a lot of things, but mostly it's chase numbers around and set premiums and make sure that your insurance uh, uh, rates are high enough so that they don't lose money and that you do lose money. Yeah. Yeah, well, when, uh, you know, one definition of an actuary is a, pit, is a CPA without a sense of humor. But uh. <laughs> Yeah, I heard that one a long time ago, Barry. <laughs> so you've got you to figure out how long uh, people are going to live, how long their pensions need to be, I, I mean, how long they, they need to keep on paying out and things like that. In the pension people, area, let's talk about the pension area. They actually do two things. First, they, uh, they determine uh, the stream of benefits that you're going to receive under all the different benefit structures built into the pension plan. There's disability, there's early retirement, there's regular retirement, there's late retirement, there's a form of payment. You can take 100% joint and survivor. That's where you and your wife both get the same payment whether you die or not. Uh, and, and there's all these subsidies that are generally built into the, the pricing process. And there's a lot of probabilities associated with it, but it, it's really a simple insurance process that comes down to a lot of statistics. Yeah, so now the thing is we all hear about uh, the state pension plan. They're all, I mean, you, you can't open up the paper without hearing about it. But when did you start to begin to understand, Steve, that these state and local pensions were in trouble? When did, when did this kind of... <clears throat> well, let's go back a bit. In the 1980s, I did an enormous amount of work with state pensions. Uh, I, 
uh, I was in charge of asset allocation uh, for Wilshire Associates out in Santa Monica. Uh, I did the asset allocations for four of the top five uh, state pensions. So are you telling me the state pensions where to put their money? Uh, we would set up a, a, a target for them. That's what the asset allocation is. And then they would investigate toward that target. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's so a lot of the stuff that you see today, the real estate, for instance, was uh, was an investment strategy that became very strong in the late 1980s for most of these organizations. Uh, there were some that were still 100% invested in bonds going into the late 80s. But by the time you got to 2000, almost every one of them was using sophisticated investment strategies. Uh, so so I have a lot of experience with state pensions. Back in 1990, I believe it was, I did the first full study of the funding levels of uh, uh, state pensions. Uh, I think it was some came out sometime in uh, October, November 1990. You can find uh, uh, an article in the Wall Street Journal about it if you look hard enough, but you have to go back through that. Uh, so I was the guy who did the first study of pension funds. So a sophisticated um, pension investment plan would be uh, more than just uh, putting all your money into one single asset class. Yes. Well, that's that's presumably what you're you're being told. But really, what it boils down to is, it turned out as I as I did all these things, I was adding all these assets we had to add, and every one of the assets we added had high fees built in from Wall Street, and it was replacing <laughs> oh. assets that had low fees from <laughs> Wall Street. It was more sophisticated, but it well, was it mostly a somebody. sales pitch. Oh yeah, it, it pleased a number of people. Yeah, so, but when did, when did you see the whole system starting to crack around 2000? I don't know. Would you, the well, dot-com meltdown? It became obvious. I, I really stopped paying attention in the mid-'90s, uh, and I started paying attention after 2000. Uh, and by the time 2003 rolled around, it was really clear these systems were in trouble. Uh, and and uh, uh, it was also – it wasn't clear at the time exactly why, but it was also clear to me that uh, they were using interest rates that were too high relative to uh, uh, what was available in the marketplace, which meant they were underfunding their liabilities, and, and it was only going to get worse over time if they continued doing that. So what do you mean by using interest rates? What interest rates that they uh, figure that they're going to be uh, achieving in their well this, their this is or? this is the this is one of the big issues uh, that everybody's arguing about uh, it's how you value the liabilities the reason I got pushed okay. pushed out of yeah. Cal Perth yeah. <laughs> a long time ago I was asked to go up there and talk to their actuarial group by the gal who uh, was uh, the lead consultant on the CalPERS account. So, so they hired your company to do research, and then you went and you presented? Well, they didn't the, hire me for this. This was okay. kind of like an add-on. The uh, uh, it, it, the politics at CalPERS is huge. I mean, let's face it, it's a, it's, it's a big place, and there's all sorts of stuff going on. Uh, and so... They were using an eight and a quarter percent interest rate at a time where treasury rates on the ten-year and longer treasuries were over nine percent. Okay, so that means that they figured that they're going to get eight, eight and a quarter percent off their. No, off that's their... that's just what they were using to value their liabilities. Don't oh, okay. don't don't figure don't don't go past that. There's okay. no brains involved in it. They were using. I'm just trying to understand. Yeah, that. they were they were just using a number, and that number mm-hmm. was low, so they were overvaluing their liabilities, and therefore their contribution rates were higher than they needed to be. Now, 
The minute you say to politicians, we got money, we're overspending here, guess what they start thinking? Well, we got to cut the contribution rate so we can spend the money elsewhere. And, uh, but, but this is a case where it had gotten to be a big enough differential that it was worth talking to the CalPERS actuaries about and, and maybe you know, having a discussion that could lead them to raise their interest rates. CalPERS actuaries were not one bit interested in raising their interest rates. The politicians eventually forced them to raise them. I think they went to either eight and a half or eight and three quarters before they started back down. So you told them. You could so they told me. Money. They told. Well, they <laughs> didn't tell me. They told the. the <laughs> they told the consultant in charge. Don't ever send him back here again. <laughs> oh, so they showed you the door. Well, That's <laughs> right. <laughs> well, don't feel bad, Steve. This I've had similar situations happen to me. Yeah. Uh, doing some work for a major insurance company. Yeah, I, I didn't really want to go up and talk to them because I knew it wasn't going to be a fun situation well, well, for tell me. Tell us about. Is it in a big office building or is, is it's huge? Is Cal- isn't it? Is CalPERS a? Good it's the biggest. It's the biggest in the country. That's it, why I pick on them. Yeah. Is it is it government or is it a private entity? Yeah, what, what is it? It's a, it's uh it's government. It's government. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So. But but what it is it's a multi-employer situation. So so every, not everybody, but most cities participate as a separate entity within the overall entity. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they all have different con- separate contracts it's all the same terms and everything but uh it, it's it's a, it's a multi-employer arrangement which is governed by the state of california okay do the guys that run that um do they get paid like uh like oh, yeah. nfl coaches or no no no, 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 they no. Don't. They don't. They actually get underpaid compared to what other people in the the business get. But that doesn't mean anything because they're not as smart as other people in the business in most cases. So, oh, yeah, that yeah, would but, explain a lot. Well, the, well, <laughs> did you see what the C, the CFO where they came out na- naked capitalism? I don't know if you saw that thing. Is that they they exposed the CFO? He was. A, they said he was a private equity guy, and they. They hired him about a year ago, and then they kicked him out three months later because his they, resume they, didn't, uh, he, yeah, he didn't did. pan out. What was the guy's name? Uh, was it one of those? Yeah, but in any event, so so any event, so various estimates, Steve, say that the pension state and local pensions uh, Pew, I think, says were one point four trillion uh, in the hole. Um, Moody says around four trillion in the hole. Um, what do you say? What do you say, uh, Steve Church? About what do you think is realistic? Uh, we know it's a big problem. What do you think? Just you know, ballpark. Uh, well, we know where the Pew numbers come from. The Pew numbers come from the systems themselves. Yeah. Okay. I. I, I so self-reporting. Self-reported. Yeah. Their way. I have a number for 2016, which is probably comparable to the Pew number of 1.4 yeah. trillion. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and that's from the 127 systems I track which is about 90% of the liability. So you figure it's 100, it's 1.7 trillion when, when it's all said and done. Uh, maybe 1.6 trillion. Now Moody's has dramatically increased its estimate over the last couple around of years. Around four billion or something like that. They were down around two billion a couple of years ago and we're understating it, but now they're getting aggressive. Billion uh, or trillion? Uh, tri- Trillions excuse with me. a T. Excuse okay. me, <laughs> trillion, that's right. That's a big difference. And they're up around $4 trillion. They finally raised it. $4 trillion is a fair best-case estimate for what the unfunded liability is. So if I'm expecting a pension, uh, should I be worried? Well, no. I mean, you always got guns to go get more money. I mean, let's face it. <laughs> yeah, so, so, um, so we have, I mean, 
Now, I want to get back to uh, your, your, your qu- my question on what a reserve scheme is, all right? Cause I, and I want to spend some time on that because uh, you, you think it's a pension reserve scheme. Um, and um, as we know, companies uh, or entities like Detroit, Stockton, California, Central Falls, Rhode Island, a lot of these government entities have filed bankruptcy over their pe- pension obligations. And, um, uh, and, um, and we know Illinois, um, uh, how can I, my, my question is, is that, um, what's the actual funding status in some of these things? I mean, we know Illinois uh, is in trouble. We know Kentucky is in trouble. We know Connecticut and even our great state of New Hampshire is in trouble. And, and Puerto Rico, I mean, what do you think the average funding ratio is on these st- now, Steve? Oh, gosh, I looked at Puerto Rico probably a year or two ago. Okay, so, so funding ratio is is what they put in compared to well, what they should put in? Well, no, it's, it's, it's uh, what they're told to put in. See, the, 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 big, okay. the big issue is what is the funding ratio and what is the cost of the benefits. Oh, okay. uh, and, and as long as uh, the actuaries continue to do what they're doing, in fact, what the actuaries do in the state and local pension area it's the only place in the world where they're doing this. They're not allowed to do this in the UK. They're not allowed to do this in the private sector. Uh, the accountants know it's bad. The economists know it bad. The BEA, the Bureau of Economic uh, Analysis, adjust their numbers for the national income and product accounts. Okay, Nobody does it the way it's done in the state and local pension area for a good reason. What is done in the, econ- in the state and local pension area is both financially and economically unsound. So is that a good reason to have um, some outside entity look over your pension fund? Well, yeah. Well, the, with the whole, with the exempt from risk, I learned this years ago, is that, see, s- state and local government pension plans are exempt from risk. In other words, if I'm running a pension plan from like IBM or uh, say Coca-Cola or something like that, it has to be uh, actuarially sound. Am I correct, Steve? And it has to be something around 80% funded roughly before they start looking at you? Uh, there's, there's a lot of entities involved. I think what you're talking about comes back to 401A. Yeah. Okay. New, our great state of New Hampshire was the only only uh, group in the world that managed to almost lose its 401A uh, tax uh, shelter. Uh, because of the way it was messing around back in about 15 years ago. Uh, It's hard to do. It's almost impossible as a public fund to do something like that, to get the IRS to come in and tell you, that's it, you're finished, you got to change this. Uh, But 401A, there are other provisions under 401, uh, and uh, state and local pension funds are exempt from the uh, valuation provisions uh, under, I think it's 401M, but I'm not really sure what it is. So in other words, they don't have to have, they don't have the same set of rules as say like, or you know, an automobile, automotive company or IBM or someone like that. They, they just, uh, just, just in terms of <laughs> contributions, they, the IRS has no control over their contributions because it's not tax deductible in the first place. So what's the point? And because they're governments and so they're trying to keep some separation. So, all right, so we know, if you know, if the corporate data, you can readily find out if they're funded correctly or somewhat because you, you can go to the 5500s on which is available to everybody. Um, but 
wh- where are they generally the pension plans? I mean, some states are, are pretty well funded, like uh, North Carolina. I don't know. Wisconsin. There are no state pension plans that are pretty well funded There's in no- reality. It's with the funny numbers they have. They might look uh, pretty well funded, but they're not pretty well funded. Yeah. So uh, could some of them uh, be exaggerating their uh, um, the way they're funded? or? Could some of them? Yeah. yeah. They all oh, are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but so, there's, there's one caveat to that. Kentucky, Kentucky. Which, you, which you brought up, is going through a remake and a revamp, and they're actually pushing their uh, – uh, I'm trying to remember. They're pushing their actuarial interest rate assumptions on the police and fire plan down to something like four and three quarters, five percent, maybe five and a quarter. I don't remember. I'd have to go look at that. And the rest of the, uh, and for the employees, uh, they're going to be around six and a quarter, but they're going to be the lowest. They're actually going to try to be close to what an expected return using their investment strategy is, as opposed to uh, the phony numbers that everybody's making up. Okay, so these pension funds are, are are telling everybody, yeah, we're making six, eight percent or something, and, and they're not. No, yeah. they're not. Yeah. And, and they're not. And as a matter of fact, I've backed it up, and that's one of the lar- you know, which uh, um, which kind of leads us into Ooh, next week. Next week, yeah. But this is um, you know, because I've done the research, and this is uh, uh, and Steve, I would kind of maybe chime in on this is that what I found, and you, I intuitively knew that a lot of these large bodies of of capital or money, and the largest ones are this, uh, pension plans, or government pension, pension plans, and endowments, really, so like Yale or Harvard or something like that. And what what I found is is that, um, uh, the, I don't know, it's a, uh, generally they return to the mean or to like a, a 30-year treasury rate, and so I intuitively knew that, but you kind of, you've done the numbers on that, and you said that 30-year returns on large pools of money generally mirror 30-year treasury so that's well instead of (laughs) instead of looking at my numbers why don't we just look at the state and local pension numbers now about uh six months ago i did a little piece on a quarterly basis if somebody i I put out a little quarterly analysis two three-page analysis covering some of the topics that are going on anybody wants a copy just let barry know and i'll try to add you to my uh, distribution list Anyways, back in March, I believe it was, I took a look at uh, the state and local pensions, and I looked at Minnesota. And the reason I looked at Minnesota was for a simple reason. That was in Bloomberg. Bloomberg did a piece on them, didn't they? Yeah, well, well, Bloomberg did a piece on them, and and the teacher's system there got uppity about Bloomberg's piece and claimed that Bloomberg was being unfair to them. Uh, and, and so they put out a piece called Setting the Record Straight About Pension Finances. Uh, here is what I did with what the information that was in their, uh, uh, their little piece. Just to ask what you said, the Bloomberg, uh, this is quoted directly from uh, the Minnesota teachers. The Bloomberg article claims that Minnesota has experienced lackluster investment returns. In fact, the State Board of Investment has averaged an 8.7% annual return over the past 30 years. Okay, this is uh-huh. this is through 2016, I believe, but it might have been through 2017. It doesn't really matter. Consistently outperforming its peers, which means it's in the top 50%. 
where the peer average was 8.3% over the last 30 years. Returns over 35 years have averaged 10.2% per year. Okay, so let's go look at what this claim means. 50% of the funds were 8.3% or below, 50% were 8.3% or above. The treasury rate on June 30, 1987, 30-year treasury was 8.5. Okay, so over the next 30 years, these guys, more than 50% of the state and local pensions underperformed the 30-year treasury rate on June 30, 1987. Well, a, tre a treasury bond, that's like the safest place to put your money. That, that, is, that is the it, safest it, place. Considered sort the safest of. place. And no. so, if, so, if, so if I could invest my money elsewhere and get a lower return, probably I wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, so, so this goes back to my CalPERS thing, okay? 8.5 <laughs> was... That would be the proper way to value your liabilities. What are 30-year treasuries today? Uh, it's, it's way low, uh, isn't it? It's, it's, it's like uh, three or four. Uh, yield, what do they call it? The yield inversion now is uh, they almost, like, they almost, almost mirror the 10 years, right? I mean, They're 3.06%. Okay. Mm -hmm. Was that no, where the 30-year treasury? Uh, 3.075. Oh, excuse me. Oh, They're excuse me. Right it's going up. Your mortgage uh, is going yeah. up as we speak. <laughs> as we speak, yeah. yes. Okay, so, so have some fun. But anyways... <laughs> And what is the average, okay, back then in 1987, mm. the average uh, interest rate used to value liabilities was around 8%. Uh, now the average interest rate used to value liabilities is 7.3%, but 30-year treasuries are 3.075, thank you. Uh, and that's uh, four and a quarter percent higher. Now, when we look at the facts, they've underperformed 30-year treasuries. Why would they be using four and a quarter percent per year higher? I mean, this is a huge difference in the value of their liabilities. As they say in the, in the South, that that dog don't hunt. <laughs> okay, so, so they're saying, uh, you know, we can get eight percent when when they couldn't uh, achieve that uh, earlier on, and now they're uh, um, now that the thirty year is down to three percent. Yeah, they, uh, that's more like what they should expect to achieve. Uh, they have not demonstrated an ability to outperform treasuries over 30 to 40 years. Mm. So why anybody would think they're going to do 4% per year better than treasuries when they have no demonstrated ability to outperform at all, uh, one would have to ask the simple question. Now, in, in the work that I've done that Barry referred to, I found four 15-year or longer periods where one pension system had outperformed 4% over the 30-year treasury. This is out of close to 3,500 observations That's of not returns. too many. <laughs> so the chance of it happening is almost zero, and all of them are above the, the probability, the zero probability. Well, to, I mean, some of the Wall Street guys, they must uh, get, uh, beat the treasury, right? Uh, well, you can, of course they beat the treasury, yeah. except for Solomon Brothers, who's now out of business. Well, maybe Lehman Brothers. <laughs> but you know, but there, Bear Stearns. But, but generally what happens is, uh, and, and this is, I don't know if it's an actuarial term, a mathematical term, you, you find was is a return to the mean, Steve? I mean, would you agree with that? Uh, I think you're uh, using a different statistical yeah. concept. The, the, the interesting thing is that these, uh, to me, it's very clear the statistics uh, 
clearly prove they are not going to hit the numbers or have never hit the numbers that they're claiming they're going to hit in the past. That doesn't mean they won't hit them in the future, but you've got to have some reason why the future is going to be different from the past, and nobody has demonstrated any reason why it's going to be different from the past. Okay, so what does this mean for, for um, like a firefighter that's, that's going to retire soon? Uh, does it mean he, he might get less from his pension? Or they, the municipalities will tax people more to make sure he gets just what he's well, promised? Well, if you want to talk about firefighters, let's go to Chicago. Okay. Okay. Chicago. Chicago, very recently, just, I, I don't know the facts on how much they raised their taxes, but they basically have gone, are taxing their city property tax-wise or complete tax-wise is some sort of structure in Illinois that Chicago has to live within. They are now at basically 100% of what they're allowed to do by the state. Hmm. They did that to try to fix the pension plans in Chicago. And that resulted in a huge increase in the contributions uh, going to the police and fire plans uh, by doing a specific uh, allocation of taxes to them. Uh, the net result is all they have done is keep these pensions alive for five or ten more years. Uh, but they're still extremely underfunded, basically 20% funded. If anything happens in the stock market, these, uh, these things will go kaput in a matter of two or three or four years. You've got a, million, you got a, tr a billion dollars in the firefighters' pension fund. Their payments every year are something like $250 million a year. They get assets equal to four years' worth of payments. Okay, in fact, I actually think it's more like three years' worth of payments because they've raised the, the contribution from 150 to like 225. And they've claimed they have a process in place to, to solve this by 2055. Well, it's really clear that uh, uh, their contribution rate, which is currently around 47%, the actuary says is going to have to go up to 71% starting in 2020. 71% of pay just for the pension contribution for firefighters. Now, either the firefighters are going to see a cut in pay or they're going to see a cut in their pensions. You, oh, you know, to talk about the, uh, I didn't know the Chicago firefighters was that bad, but, um, and uh, I've been on airlines sometimes, and people ask me what I do, and they start talking about this, and they, some people get really angry with me, and I said, well, just, just look at the numbers, but um, you've called, Steve, the, the, these government pension plans, what it's called, as reserve schemes. Uh, am I correct? What, just what is a reserve scheme? Could you explain that to our audience? Uh, first, they have all the appearances of being a reserve scheme. Uh, a reserve scheme is actually a fraud. It's, a, it's illegal in every state and nation. It's been illegal since before I was born. Uh, the little I know about the reserve scheme area is that uh, it was in my study syllabus when I was uh, to be an actuary. It was some old paper from like 1962. Uh, that I was studying in 1982, uh, and and they were in the process of about to get rid of it. But obviously, these things have been around forever. Uh, 
in, in essence, a reserve scheme is uh, an intentional process of undervaluing uh, liabilities, undercharging for the liabilities to be given out. Uh, and all the things that come around it is that uh, the minute, it's, it's like a Ponzi scheme, the minute the cash flow c- coming in stops, these things collapse. Well, who, who benefits from a reserve scheme? Uh, anybody who's on the payout end, not on the pay-in end. Mm-hmm. And that would be the people running it? Uh, well, no. The people who are receiving benefits pay- from it benefit from the reserve scheme. Yeah, and and in reality, the well, that pe- would be the firefighter. The, well, the firefighters, but in reality, the taxpayers, today's taxpayers, benefit from the reserve scheme, because they're not paying the full cost of benefits. Whereas what they're basically saying to their kids, saying, "Guess who's going to pay my taxes?" <laughs> oh, and by the way, have a nice student uh, loan on top of it. Yeah, so so, so that means that actuaries have to be honest. Actuaries okay. are required to be honest. They have their own sets of rules, and in fact, they have a uh, uh, a code of conduct that requires them to be honest. Now, the one of the things because these 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 pension plans are desperate for yield for because of because uh, the Feds drop interest rates to forty year lows, so they're desperate for safe yields. So according to public uh, pension plans database and uh, between 2006 and 16, and actually the state of Maryland, I don't know if you saw, there was a, a great study done by them about um, alternative investments. Uh, what has happened, Steve, is that so between 2006 and 16, the amount of uh, money going to alternative investments, i.e. hedge funds, private equity, distressed debt, commodities, very risky, op- opaque stuff, has gone from six seven percent to twenty six percent. This has caused a lot of risk in the system. Um, d- doesn't part of the reserve sch- scheme uh, include going to these risky investments in, in search of yield? Is uh, that be a component of it? Uh, well, your reserve scheme has four basic characteristics: one, uh, an increasingly understatement of the value of liabilities; two a uh, consistently falling uh, funding level. Uh, Three, uh, what happens is over time the reality emerges uh, and pension reality takes 30 to 50 years to emerge. Uh, uh, Three, uh, so the contribution rates show it, uh, the funding levels show it, the uh, the valuation process shows it. We have lots of demonstrations. The fourth part is one of the ways they try to make this all come true is you see it increasing in risk, consistently increasing level of risk as the managers of the system try to outrun the fraud, which is accumulating over time. Uh, and in fact, what I'm sure that uh, what you saw at Maryland, I just I have uh, something here from the San Francisco retirement system, where we get four to 30 years worth of asset allocations uh, laid out by their pension actuary as part of a study of their uh, uh, inflation uh, usage as well as uh, their interest rate assumptions. But let me just tell you what's happened for San Francisco. In 1987, 75% of their assets were in public bonds, 25% in public stocks. Okay. Okay. By 2017, 30 years later, 6% of their assets are in public bonds relative to the 75% they started with. 31% of their assets are in public stocks. 
So 37% of their assets are in public investments, the i.e. stuff I can trade yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, we, yeah okay. we can track, yeah. Yep, and, and price daily. 63% of their stuff is invested in things that trade once in a long while. They're in hedge funds. They're in private equity plans. They can't even get the money out without paying a 15 to 20% discount to get somebody else to take their assets. They don't price it that way, but that's what they, they would they, have They to price it at book, don't they? they uh... Well, they price it at whatever the manager says it is. And there's a whole process that the accounting profession has set up. You got... You have uh, first-tier assets, you got second-tier assets, you got third-tier assets. Third-tier assets are the ones that have no way to pricing, so they make up numbers. Second-tier assets, they have a model they can price off of, and first-tier assets are ones that have available prices. Uh, but 63% of this fund, 30 years ago, this fund was conservatively managed, and you could tr- convert it to cash in a relatively short period of time. Yeah. Now you get 63% of the stuff you're going to have to sit and look at for any from 10 to 20 years to get your money out. I, I call it Hotel California money, Steve. What do I mean by that? You know the Hotel California? You can get any time you want, but you can never leave. That's right. You know, so so this is because I was a typical, uh, and venture capital. That's um, the Eagles, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You do my job so well. That was excellent. <laughs> yeah, so it's Hotel California money, and... Um, and venture capital, and uh, as, as I said, we were talking about previously Theranos, which was one of the biggest scams I've seen lately. Um, these limited partnership agreements, what are they? You look at this stuff more than I do, but some aren't these partnership agreements generally for 10, 10 as much, many as 15 years, Steve? Uh, you're talking about things like real estate. Real estate, and, and private, private equity. equity. Yeah, the, the pay-in period's around five years. The payout period's 10 to 13. Sometimes when things aren't going well, that gets extended on a year-by-year basis until they can finally sell the assets that they have. So, so can these um, all these pension obligations, which are tough to meet, what, what happens uh, when we have a lot of inflation? Does that uh, bail them out, or does it make things worse? Well, that's kind of what the Wall Street's selling us right now is inflation. You can see it everywhere. Uh, they're trying to drive inflation up so they can get higher stock returns. Uh, the way that works through is by boosting the growth of, uh, of sales and earnings so you can have a higher return over time. Uh, and then it accumulates slowly but surely. But uh, there's a question. All you have to do is you look at what's happening under the, the new tax law cuts. Uh, supposedly this is going to produce a massive increase in employment with rising wages. And what's happened? Guess what? Wages aren't going up as fast as inflation are going up now. So in fact, everybody out here is, uh, is worse off. Now, you asked about the firefighters in Chicago. The people, their taxpayers are getting worse off. The actuary tells uh, the city of Chicago they're going to have to raise their contribution rates by 24% of pay starting two years from now, a year and a half from now. Uh, how are these people who are losing ground going to be able to afford to pay those uh, firefighters an extra 24% just for the pensions alone? You can be pretty sure they got a, they got a COLA increase plus in their payroll. So they'll probably be going up 5% a year on top of the 24% addition. And the people out there are actually worse off every year. There's going to be a point where the whole darn thing comes apart. And we're getting and, closer to it. And how does that manifest itself in um, municipalities uh, going bankrupt? Or? 
No, they will go bankrupt. Yeah, well, they will. Yeah, they will because we have Stockton's gone, well, Detroit's gone. I mean, well, what's happened is what's happening in Chicago. Wall Street's come up with a bright, bright idea to fix the Chicago problem. Oh yeah. Oh. Is this? Are we going to talk about pension obligation bonds? Oh Steve? yes, we okay, are. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, what's being proposed is that the city of Chicago, which is essentially already bankrupt, uh, will borrow ten billion dollars and drop it into its pension plans. Now, using their numbers, they have sixty billion of liabilities, twenty billion of assets. This ten billion of borrowed money will be put into the pension fund. So it'll be up to 30 billion out of the 60 billion. Using my numbers, it's closer to 100 billion. So there'll be 70 billion underfunded as opposed to the 30 billion they claim. But guess what? The city of Chicago is gonna be paying interest on another 10 billion of bonds every year. This is gonna be at least 500 million a year. Uh, it's unlikely that the city of Chicago is gonna be able to get insurance on these bonds. So these things are gonna be uh, can I use the word crap? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Junk bonds. Come on. <laughs> so, high but, yield. High yield. <laughs> and since you're not going to find a bond insurer to back the uh, back the bonds, these guys are going to have to pay through through the uh, whatever in order to be able to just put the ten billion out. What will happen is Wall Street will make it happen at low interest rates, and then this stuff will get shoved in the mutual funds, and they'll go down there. And the mutual fund owners will be helping to keep Chicago afloat. And and they won't even know. And they won't even they know. They won't even know. Steve, you talked about the um, the shift in um, pension funds uh, and their allocations. They're, they're going to um, higher uh, fee um, fee funds. So uh, do those fees really eat up your uh, your uh, savings? Uh, well, here's what, what happens. Uh, if you think about what the actuaries do or uh, the assumptions they use are actually net of fees. And they're net, huh? They're not before fees. Okay. So an, a 7.5% net of fee assumption with 33 quarters or a percent of fees is actually an 8.25% before fee assumption. Now, you get your bonds are paying you, what, 3% now, something like that. Uh, and you're running 80% invested in equities. You're going to have to earn at least 10% a year on stocks. You can't find anybody out there who'll put a 10% number. I saw a JP Morgan number, 6.2%, 5.5% on a geometric basis. How are you going to earn that 10%? Well, you're not, okay? Uh, and Wall Street's going to do everything they can to make that 10% happen, but you're basically there. You're at valuation levels you've only seen. Uh, once, once, maybe twice before in history, 1929 and 2000, uh, it isn't going to happen. So, so uh, uh, these fees are nothing more than just a way of draining money out of these pensions and into Wall Street's pockets. Yeah, which is what I've been talking about. And this is, um, you know, because we've seen a huge, uh, and there was some academic study, I forget who it was, that said that relative... Wall Street has been able, the banks been able to extract relatively the same amount of money uh, from every dollar invested for the past like a hundred years. Okay, so where a lot of people are going into passive funds, i.e., something like a a, a a DFA or a Vanguard model or a State Street model, that, that type of thing, uh, the uh, people dropping it down to very few basis points. What is happening is that they're actually shifting it into the high fee, high price spread, if you will, uh, the private equity, the hedge fund guys. And, and everyone else. So it, 
So, and, and this is kind of their pot of gold. Would you agree, the pension plans? This is one of their pots of gold. I mean, they got plenty of ways to get money. But, but this is one that is actually, uh, uh, it's, a, it's not supposed to be a pay-to-play environment, but, it, but in my experience, it's always been a pay-to-play environment. Yeah, well, and, and actually, it was it Steve Ratner? And this is a matter of public record. He was the uh, ran Quadrangle Group, and he was actually Barack Obama's car czar, uh, and, um, and he was actually his Quadrangle. They had to pay uh, fines for pay to play for the New York State pension, and then he personally had to pay for it as well. But you know, six months later, he's on CNBC as a special guest. So who knows? Uh, but uh, uh, but there's been a lot of. Um, Disasters involved with these state pension funds, Steve, and that I was just thinking about this is that uh, the reason why I call it Health Hill California money. Um, most of these large, like uh, casino projects, like Stations Casino, uh, Caesars Entertainment, uh, Ravel Casino, they're all funded by state pension fund money, and um, and they all went into, into bankruptcy, every single one of them. And, uh, and then another one I, I was thinking of the Peter Cooper, you know, that place down in Manhattan. Uh, Peter Cooper, uh, 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 Town. you know, in New York City when you go yes, down? Yes, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so it was sort of like um, one of the, I think, one of the large comp- largest complexes in the world. Uh, that was a uh, leverage buyout done by, by I think, Blackstone and um, Tishman Spare. And um, it, my question is, and, and they took the, uh, I think, Calvers for like half a billion dollars. The state of Florida lost $250 million. If they even burnt the... Church of England for seventy million bucks. Uh, are these losses really reflected in, in the, the returns? I mean, some of these losses are enormous. Uh, there's a question, but if you really want to see, uh, you know, a group that was really bad was Detroit. Detroit. That was totally politicized. Their investments were just were awful investments, completely politically driven. Uh, when they went through the bankruptcy process, they were forced to clean it up. They lost tons of money from this stuff. Uh, so it happens everywhere. It happens everywhere. Now, okay, so we've we got about two minutes left, handsome Phil. Uh, Steve, you're a great 90 re- seconds. 90 seconds. You're, you're a great resource, Steve. I, I have tremendous respect for you. Um, how can people find out more about you? How can they contact you? If, if, will they go to your website? Uh, they go to their website and uh, give me a call. Yeah, uh, most uh, I got my spam filters set up, so you can't get to me. <laughs> you know, so unless uh, I know you. <laughs> you know, so. <clears throat> but the uh, um, so how much time do you think we have on this on this reserve schemes? I mean, we don't only God knows, huh? Uh, it it really depends upon how far Wall Street can push the stock market. These guys are down to if the stock market goes bad, they go bankrupt fast. Yeah, so uh, on... Th- what should we do? I don't know. That's the next question. But on, on next, uh, our, our guest for next weekend, on that cheery note, we're going to have Ludovic, Ludovic Ladovic uh, Papalu. He's, a, he's actually, we're going to have him, he's, gonna, uh, he's a professor of uh, Oxford, and then we're going to talk about his new book, uh, Private Equity La- La- Laid Bare, and he's going to talk about the, uh, 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 about the Yale investment returns and how it's impossible for them to get 30% compound or... 20%. So uh, it should be a really interesting uh, show. And uh, Steve, thank you so much for being here. Uh, my name is Barry James Dyke. Uh, you can find out more about me by going to barryjamesdyke.com. Will Pierce is my sidekick, and Hanson Phil Kliger is our engineer. And we'll do it again next Wednesday. And thank you so much.
This has been The Economic Warrior with your host, Barry James Dyke. Broadcast live at WSCA Portsmouth Community Radio. Engineered by Phil Kleiger. If you have any questions about today's show or need an ally in conquering the battleground of finance, contact the warrior himself at barryjamesdyke.com. Who are the warriors?